Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Like I said, we start a new series entitled So Will I for the month of February. That song, we wanted to show it to you, probably you'll hear it a lot this month. It's just beautiful lyrics. One of the verses says, as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Say, so will I. I can see your heart in everything that you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praise, so will I. Let that be your heart's cry this month. I don't know where you are spiritually, where you are with God, but I'm telling you that can change in a moment. You get a glimpse of who he really is. That can change in an instant, in the blink of an eye. And you can go around saying, if the rocks cry out, so will I. If creation sings your praise, so will I. If, if uh, the stars were made to worship, so will I. I don't know about you, but I want to give him everything. Turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. And they're traveling and they get to a city called Sychar, probably a small town. And, and Jacob's wells there, a, a well that Jacob, one of the patriarchs actually dug is there and and his disciples are probably there well i know they're there and one of them says hey i'm hungry let's run into the town here to the burger king at sycar and, and get something to eat or whatever you know i don't know if they had a burger king back then it's probably just mcdonald back before burger king <laughs> so they all get ready to go and jesus says y'all go i'll sit here you can bring me something back so jesus wanted a little long time right or else he knew what was about to happen. And so they go, and, and uh, Jesus is sitting alone at the well, and they've been walking all morning because they're on their way to Galilee, and they didn't have cars back then. They had to hoof it most of the time. And so he's tired. He's sitting there at the well, and a woman comes up to draw water from the well. It's a Samaritan woman, and she's getting her some water. And Jesus asks, makes a simple request. He said, will you get me some water? And she gets a little feisty. She says, you know, I'm a Samaritan woman, right? You're a Jew. We, we don't have any dealings together. It was like a rift between the two back in those days. And so she's getting feisty with him. He said, well, if you knew who you're talking to, <laughs> you would ask me for some water. And I'll give you some water that like you ain't never seen. Before. She says, you don't even have a rope to get the bucket out. You telling me your water's going to be better than this water that Jacob gave us? The one he fed his animals and his family with? You got water better than that? So she's, she's feisty. But Jesus is a little feisty too. In verse 14 of John 4, he says, Those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. 
Now, we know that water is the Holy Spirit. Those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them. Say a fresh, bubbling spring within them. So if, you, if you've been saved and you have the Holy Spirit, He becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within you. And I like to think of that as worship. To have that bubbling going on in you is an expression of your worship to God. It's a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We get the Holy Spirit and we get this bubbling going on. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but bubble on the inside. You say, I'm I'm not comfortable worshiping God, then you don't have enough bubbling going on on the inside. Amen? But the woman, she's still feisty. She wants to talk religion. Have you ever tried to tell somebody about Jesus and they start talking religion? You know what it's like. Oh, well, we... We say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. Y'all want to do it in Jerusalem. She won't start talking when and where and how to, how to worship. You know, the Catholics, they, they, they say you got to have mass first and then you do this. But the Presbyterians, they do this and the Methodists do that. Do y'all have a Wednesday service? And they just go on and on talking about, do y'all have a kneeling pew? Do y'all... Do y'all baptize, y'all sprinkle, or y'all dunk them? You know, I don't know. They always just want to talk religion. And Jesus is trying to get something deeper. He's talking about something more meaningful. And if you go down to verse 23, Jesus says the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Say here now. When is the time to worship? Where is the time to worship? Here? Here now. (laughs) When is worship? Where is worship? It's here and it's now. Don't matter if you're in your car. Don't matter if you're in your backyard. Don't matter if you're in your bed. When is the time to let that bubbling spring spring up? Here now. Here and now. It's time to worship. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. That's what pleases the Father. He's looking for somebody. Will somebody please rise above your religious attitudes and get real? I know you can't sing that well. I know you just learned to play piano. All you know is a few chords. But will somebody please get up here and get real? Are we too ashamed? He's looking for somebody that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's look at the the message translation. I know you probably don't have a message Bible, and that's good. It's a paraphrase. It's not a real Bible. but, But sometimes I like to look and see what it says because it's a man's interpretation of what the Bible says. And sometimes it gives me insight. It's sort of like a commentary, so to speak. So I wouldn't preach out of the message translation, but sometimes we can look at it. And kind of get some thoughts on that passage. And this is what the message translation says in John chapter 4 verse 23 through 24. I think he did a good job here. It's who you are and the way that you live that counts before God. 
Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father's looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. You know, God doesn't, he probably just shakes his head when we're, we're play acting. When we're just raising our hand because everybody else is or, or not raising our hand because nobody else is or we're just worrying about what somebody else is thinking. We're looking about our appearances. We want to appear to be worshipers, but there's really no bubbling going on. We really hadn't got real, and we're really not in pursuit of the truth. And if we knew the truth, the truth has set you free. The truth is God is better than you know he is. You can say he's good, but you don't know how good he really is. For those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship, they're just getting real. Can somebody get real in the house? That was one of our goals last year is to, for the church to get real in their worship. I saw some, some improvement, but there's much, much more than we, than we could ever delve into. There's more. There's always more. So, somebody who would get honest, be simply, simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. And then it says, God is sheer being itself, spirit. With a capital S. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, right? And, and he is a spirit. There's, there's nothing fake about him. He is, he is, how do you say who God is? You, the words can't describe who he is. I don't know where this is coming from. Should I say this? You, you've heard the, the, the name Yahweh. There really was no vowels in the name. It's just a series of consonants, and they put the, so that we could even pronounce it. But it's really more of a sound. His name is, is, is so pure, and, and he is the one who spoke all things in existence. He holds all things together by the word of his power, right? God is. <laughs> How do you describe him? He, he described himself as I am. Are you feeling me? I am. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And they said that when you breathe in and breathe out, if you were to record it and you could hear it, the sound would be, So every breath, Every beating of your heart is praising God, and you don't even know it. Everything cries out his name to the beauty and the holiness of who he is. He is spirit. He is in the essence. There's nothing impure. There's no impurities that need to be removed. He is holy. He is righteous. He is true. He is just. He is good. He is love. And it says those who worship him must do it out of their very being. Their spirits, their true selves in adoration. You are a spirit. 
You live in a body and you have a soul, but the essence of who you are, the, the, if you boiled it all down, what's going to spend eternity in heaven with God or in hell with the devil is your spirit. And it's either alive unto God or it's dead unto God. That determines heaven or hell. And he's looking for those who will worship him from the essence of who they are to the essence of who he is in adoration. Do you adore him? Oh, I adore you, Lord. And I'm not ashamed of who knows it. I don't care what this crazy world says about us. I adore you. How short-sighted that we might come to church just for what we can get. People used to skip worship at the beginning of the service and just come for the sermon just so they can get theirs and go. Get a little knowledge and a little wisdom or whatever. How short-sighted. Worship is not what you can get It is what you can give. It's called a worship service because we come and there's an exchange that goes on. We worship Him. We empty ourselves of ourselves so that He can fill us with Himself. In adoration, essence to essence, in spirit and in truth. A religious spirit knows nothing of worship. It's rules and regulations. But when the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Jesus was meeting in the home of Simon the Pharisee. The Pharisees had gathered together and said, let's get Jesus to come over. We'll get him, you know, we'll corner him and we'll answer, ask him a bunch of questions. We'll, we'll make him say something that we can hold against him. And so they gathered together and they, they all had their plans and they were going to uh, question Jesus and get him saying some things that they could spin, saying, saying some things that they could hold against him. And they had their plans and Jesus was sitting there And the Bible says an immoral woman. In one translation it says sinful, the other says immoral. But an immoral woman comes into the room. Now I thought to myself, how did she get there? Simon, if she knocked on the door, Simon's not going, what are you doing? Get out of here, woman. He's not letting her in his house. So that tells me this woman had to know Jesus was there. Slide in, open somebody's door and come in their house without an invitation. Maybe she's slinking to the room where Jesus is. Maybe she's crawling. I don't know. I can picture them sitting there and they're sitting at a table and maybe Jesus is speaking or somebody's speaking and and Simon looks over and this woman is slithering across his floor. He's like, what is she doing? (laughs) Do you think she cared what they thought? She's carrying a little alabaster box or a little alabaster vase. Alabaster is like a stone that they would, they would use it and make vases to p- carry precious ointments and stuff. 
And, and they say that this ointment in this alabaster box that she was carrying would cost, in those days, a year's salary. I don't know what you make in a year, maybe twenty, thirty, fifty, hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. But a year's salary to anybody is a lot of money. But she was carrying this little alabaster box. She didn't care what anybody thought. She slithered over and she went right to Jesus' feet. I imagine she didn't even look up into his glorious face. She just wanted to touch his feet. She probably didn't feel worthy to look up. But she came and she began to cry and coddle his feet and the tears fell on the dust of his feet and she began to take her hair and wipe it off and then she broke open the top of that alabaster box and began to anoint his feet and as the tears mingled with that beautiful perfume she began to to cleanse the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with her tears and with an expression of I don't know how much that, I don't know if she was a rich woman, the Bible doesn't say, or if she was a poor woman. Maybe this ointment was something that was in her dowry for when she got married. I don't know, maybe, but I can tell you this. She proved that she knew that this, this perfume could not deliver her, no matter how much it was worth, but she could pour this perfume over her the feet of her deliverer and it would be much more well spent and she cried and she worshipped him and of course Simon's there over there what the world what the world you know religious people ain't going to understand your worship they ain't going to understand your crazy praise at all they're going to see some guy up there singing that they can't sing good expressing his heart they're going to say I'm not going to that church that's stupid we, we spent Ten minutes on that same song. He just sang the same thing over and over. <laughs> and, and they want everything packaged. They want everything done the way they think it ought to be done. But I'm telling you, this woman didn't care how it should have been done. Jesus must be worshipped at all cost in her mind. I don't know. Hey, it doesn't say how she knew Jesus, I, I hesitate to think that she just heard about him and came and did that. I think he had met her. Maybe she had seen him in the temple. Maybe he had already forgiven her sins. And she just felt like she had to express her worship. But she searched him down. She went in a place she wasn't supposed to be. And she worshiped him didn't care what anybody else thought. She broke open her alabaster box. She worshipped him among the religious who only wanted to question him. And that's the difference in a worshiper and a religious person. They just want to question. They're looking, for, they're looking to find something in the Bible that can give them an out. But a worshiper. Our senior pastor, Pastor Steve Vickers, who's over all three passion churches, he wrote this. He said, the primary role of a man is to be a worshiper of God. That's our primary role in life, to be a worshiper of God. He says, the primary purpose of the church 
is to be a source of worship that ascends endlessly from earth to heaven. In other words, certainly if our primary role as an individual is to worship him, when we come together, man, we ought to just have an avenue where worship is endlessly going from earth to heaven all the time through the, the acts, the the charity we show in the community, the outreaches, the love we show the children, the camaraderie, the fellowship, the love, the worship, uh, the songs, the the greeting, everything is a life lived that's bringing worship to God. It's an avenue. It's the avenue that he chose for us to do this in. Jesus said, I will build my church. And worship, he says, is so much more than some songs we sing in a service. Now, I'm not, not saying anything. that's a good place to start. Music is a vehicle which you can ride into the presence of the Lord very easily. God gave us music. But it's not the only worship. It's so much more than just songs we sing in a service. He said true worship is literally our lives poured out for Jesus. Sort of like that alabaster box. We break this hard exterior and we pour out our life, the whole life, all that we are for Jesus. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to change direction, say, er! all right. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is a beautiful passage that helped me as I was a young Christian understand so much more what worship truly is. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Give your bodies as a sacrifice. I don't think he just means our physical bodies. I mean the body of who we are. Let your life be a sacrifice unto God. You're coming and you're going. You're sitting down and you're lying down. Your 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 work, your schooling, your family time, and yes, your church time, your relationships, all that you are. Let it be a sacrifice unto God. That is truly your your. Spiritual act of worship. That is how you worship God. See, we've been taught in America that, oh, I'm a worshiper because I went to church Sunday and we sang a few worship songs. We've boiled it down to just a few songs. But that's never the way it was intended to be. It's about your whole life poured out to God. Do you see that? Do I, am I making this up? Let it be a living and a holy sacrifice. Live in a way that's holy in a way that will sacrifice all that I am for his glory. Y'all are not hearing me. But this is truly the way to worship him. It's not just a song. I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you my heart. When we came into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ... We entered into a blood covenant. Now, we understand contracts in America. Contracts are written 
to close the loophole so this guy can't get over one on me, right? I'll do this if you do that. No, but, you know, it's all about protecting yourself. And when we, we come into a co- covenant with Jesus, we think it's a contract, but it's not. A blood covenant, the blood has already been spilled. He's already poured his whole life out for you. He's already demonstrated he's all in. And so, when we come together in a blood covenant, we enter into the blood covenant, what that's symbolizing is something that you want to do. You're willing to to spill your blood because they were willing to spill their blood. And so you come together, and it's saying that all that I have, you don't have to write up a contract and close any loopholes. I want to give to you. All that is mine is yours. And all that is yours should be mine. There should be no hesitation. There should be no delay. It's something that you willingly do. Hey, and I'm just going to tell you, we get the better end of the deal. Because Psalms 24 says the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The world and all its people belong to him. There's another scripture that says, what do you have that you weren't given? You over here bragging about, you know, I'm good looking. Well, who made you good looking? <laughs> he said, I got this talent. I can do this. And you're strutting around like a banny rooster. But God gave you that talent. There's nothing that you have he didn't already give to you. And as blood-bought children of God, we become stewards of God's grace. All that we have, we begin to see it as not our own, not something that we can use to glorify me, not something I can use to build my kingdom. It's something I use to glorify God and something I use to build His kingdom because His kingdom's going to last forever and I get to be a part of something bigger than whatever I could do over here. Stewards. Say stewards. What do you think of when you say the word steward? Budgets, money misers, penny pension. Oh, if I'm a, God wants me to be a steward. All right, let's get a budget together. I'll see. If we cut back here, if we do this, maybe, you know, we make the most of God's investment. You don't understand God's kingdom very well. You're still thinking worldly. That's the way the world does things. God does things 180 degrees of the way the world does. A guy named Chip Ingram said this, in God's economy, good stewardship is by nature generous and joyful. Your nature as a child of God is to be generous and joyful. It directs his resources extravagantly towards his purposes for his people to deeply enjoy. We move from duty to delight, from rules we keep to adventures we get to share. We wake in the morning wondering, what are we going to get to do with God's time and how are we going to get to spend his money today? I don't know who's been preaching the gospel to this point for us to still think that stewardship is a boring, dull thing, but we get to steward over God's grace. 
And we get to appropriate it in the way he would want us to appropriate it. We get to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus is trying to get us to enjoy. We wake up in the morning and says, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I think I'll go give a bull to so-and-so. Some of y'all are just giving bull to so-and-so. We're all stewards of God's grace. Think about Joseph. Man, that guy, he, from a young man, he had purpose and he, he had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. He had dreams, but man, he got knocked down, thrown in the pit, sold into slavery. But what did he do? He held on. He kept being a steward of God's grace. He kept doing, well, well whatever I got, I'm going to use it for God's glory. And then he worked his way to being head of the whole household of Potiphar, his slave owner. Potiphar trusted him with everything because he saw that God was blessing Joseph. When Joseph was generous and Joseph did what God wanted, blessings overtook him everywhere he went. And then the devil come in and got Potiphar's wife to lie on him. He got thrown in jail. But guess what? He didn't have anything in jail, but he started using his good advice here. Um, Can I help you here? Ministering to people with what he had. You know, it don't matter what happens to you in this life. God can build you right back up. Sometimes you get knocked down just so God will show you you can come right back up. And so he, he worked his way to the top of the prison. And pretty soon, Pharaoh hears about this guy, brings him out, and, and he uh, interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams and gives him some wisdom. And Pharaoh says, well, what's stopping us from using this guy? I'm making you second in charge of all of Egypt. He went from a pit to the Second in charge of all Egypt because he was a good steward. He just stewarded what he had when he had it. Seed time and harvest. Some of us have planted some seeds, and then that time we're waiting for it to grow, and then all oh, this, this God stuff don't work, and they begin to dig up their seed and eat it again. They lose their faith. Leave your seed in the ground. Even when you feel like you're in the pit, when you feel like you're in the prison, when you feel like you're a slave, God is working something in you to get you somewhere so that you can be a major influence. He's working on your character so that you can maintain the position that he's going to have for you one day. We're stewards of our time, of our affections, of our attention. You you might have children that need your attention. Be a good steward. We, We share the mercy that we've been shown to others. We extend mercy. We extend the grace that God has given us to others. What about the forgiveness? Are we forgiving others as God has forgiven us? Are we holding on to that? That's not something God can touch. I'm not giving him that. We should be stewards of all the resources of God. Our, our question should be, God, what, how, can I be of a service to, uh, how can I be of service to you today? Would you like fries with that? Whatever. 
Just let God have his way. We should be living in an extravagant world of giving and generosity. Because like, like Van talked about during the offering, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I'm telling you, the life of a worshiper, the person who understands and worships God with all they are and presents their body and their lives as a living sacrifice will never run out of resources because you can't outgive God. When you spend attention, you spend time, all those things are coming down back to you, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. People say, Pastor, you shouldn't be so uh, tough. You shouldn't ask people to do this. They got busy lives. They, I'm trying to get you out of your busy, chaotic life and get you to invest in the kingdom of God so that you'll get a return. So I don't feel ashamed when I ask people to go the extra mile because I'm not asking you for me. I'm asking you to do it out of your love for Christ. To know your why and who you are and what you're doing. Worship is here and it's now. Don't go out here and say, one day I'm, I'm going to work on being a worshiper. Just say, I am a worshiper. If the rocks cry out, so will I. It's just a, a paradigm shift in your mind. Just an understanding that you've been listening to the world too long. Stewardship is a huge expression of our worship to God. What he gives you, give away as he instructs. Don't hold on. He said if you hold on to your life in this world, you will lose it. Like he said about the building bigger barns things. He said you don't even know. Tonight your life is going to be taken from you. And who's going to get your barns now? Eh? Right? But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Stewards over the manifold grace of God. We're going to close Isaiah 6. Verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. <laughs> I don't know what these creatures are. They're heavenly creatures. We'll see them when we get there, okay? And they were calling out to each other, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundation. So it wasn't a quiet praise, all right? They were shouting, holy, holy. And it shook. The temple to its foundations. I don't know what you imagine heaven's going to be like, but if you don't like worship down here, you ain't going to want to be there. That's why he gave you a choice. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, Isaiah said, it's all over. He'd never seen nothing like this. 
I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. And you would say, say the same thing if you stood in the presence of a holy God. In a holy heaven. And you would suddenly see the wretchedness of yourself. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He's thinking this holiness is going to zap me like a bug zapper. It's going to stomp me out. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. There's a burning altar in heaven. There's a killing place in heaven. And what do you think was sacrificed on that true altar in heaven? But the blood of Jesus. The lamb slain before the foundations of the world. The blood of the precious son of God was, was sacrificed on that altar. And this angel, this seraphim, takes a tongue and brings one of those coals and he touches his lips and said, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Somebody needs to get a hold of that right now who's applied the precious blood of Jesus to your life. You are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, See, once, once he knew he was forgiven, then the Lord asked, Whom shall I send as a messenger to the people? It says, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro. Who will go for me? He's looking. Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. It's the natural response to being forgiven. A life poured out in worship produces an inward vision, an upward vision, and an outward vision. The inward vision is who I used to be, I know, but now there's moved in another essence on the inside of me that has brought life to this old dead spirit of mine. And now I'm one with God Almighty. I'm one with the Son. And the Holy Spirit controls me now. And there's an inward vision. And my prayers are not going up to the ceiling and bouncing off now. My, the Holy One lives on the inside of me. And I know He hears me because He's in me. There's an inward vision. There's, there's an understanding that I can do all things through Christ now. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in me. There's an upward vision. Oh, while I've been looking my whole life at the ground, I've been stuck in this miry clay. Now I've been helped up. And now I'm looking up. And I'm seeing new things and new possibilities. Life is looking up. All things are possible. And in that, in, in finding your freedom, you discover your purpose, and then you have an outward vision. God begins to deal with your understanding of why you're here. To go into all the world and make disciples and to use, use 
these resources that God has given you, that the, the, the talent that you have, the good looks that you have, the money that you have, the friendships that you have, that you have in place, everything, your car, your house, your food in the pantry, everything that I have is yours, Lord. Let's figure out how we can use this. There's a vision, a new vision comes to you as part of your worship. Will you go? Will you say, here I am, send me? Is that your cry? Is there something you're holding on to? You, well, God, I'd like to go, but I'm like the rich young ruler. I got a lot of money, and I don't want you to get none of it. Are you really going to hold back from the one who gave you all and owns all and is all? It's really silly how we've been, isn't it? It's silly that we've allowed the world and the devil to bring us to such a low point when we could be living the abundant, carefree, the real life. Say, here I am. Send me. So will I. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.